The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. is the Scream King Podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. Nothing can stop this demonic podcast. Even its final remnants will come after you. You must run. All you can do is run. Ooh, Ooh that was spooky. that was spooky. I I did a ooh, not even for the excitement of this film, but because I'm proud of myself. Good job, Max. <laughs> Thank you, Nathaniel. <laughs> Everyone, we've got a bomb episode planned. We're talking Evil Dead Rise. So excited to break this down. I was very hyped for this film. As was I. I think for both of us this was like most anticipated movie of at least the first chunk of the year except for you know spider-verse but that's that's a whole different you know ball oh my gosh we should do an entire episode for spider-verse because it 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 is a perfect movie (laughs) yeah i mean it's not a horror movie by like any stretch but regardless yeah it is a work of art go see that one guys yes let's stay in this verse of evil dead i mean Evil Dead is some of our favorite films from the original to the remake back in 2013. Uh, yes. Like, uh, Evil Dead always delivers, whether it's camp, comedy, or spectacular horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this film slaps hard and bloody. Definitely. Um, and, I mean, you know, Evil Dead, uh, it's funny because... I think it's our third episode ever is when we talked about the first four films in the franchise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we talked about the Necronomicon and you summoned a <laughs> demon and it was a, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because, like, I think that episode does a really good job of kind of capturing what we, we go for with this podcast. And so it feels very overdue to have another Evil Dead film to talk about. Um, and also we, we have realized as we like walked out of the movie theater that we also haven't covered Ash versus Evil Dead, which is actually my personal favorite Evil Dead thing. Um, and so expect some Ash versus Evil Dead conversation uh, to maybe get sprinkled in a teeny bit here, but mostly, you know, in an upcoming episode. Yeah, realistically, Evil Dead or Ash v. Evil Dead is just a phenomenal piece of tv and it really deserves like its own complete episode because it's brilliant bloody brilliant you could say uh very bloody yeah um we do have to kind of apologize our recording schedule has been uh hell yeah it's been a little wild um i bought a house so that's been crazy um and nathaniel you went to StokerCon. uh i'm going to StokerCon oh, this week uh so i'm going to try to edit this episode tomorrow <laughs> uh, so i'm recording this on uh monday the 12th of june uh we 
Uh, I'm going to try to get this uploaded tomorrow, and then uh, Thursday is StokerCon. So so fun. So uh, if you're listening to this and you are attending StokerCon, come find me. You know, just look at what my picture looks like on on, uh, our website or on Twitter or whatever, and uh, come, come say hi. I would love to chat horror with you. But yeah, so that's going to be amazing. Uh, I had a blast at SuperCon last year. I'm going to have another blast this year uh, over in Pittsburgh. So, uh, yeah, just going to be fully in the the realm of all things spooky for uh, several days, hanging out with some of the coolest horror writers and uh, people around horror writing just, you know, out there. So. Yeah, it will be cool. I'm excited to get the live updates. I think you sent me quite a few updates last time around, so this will be fun. Yeah, it's mostly like pictures of me with Grady Hendrix and you, you know, getting calling me mean names. Yeah, you <laughs> can go to hell. <laughs> yes. Yeah, something like that. <sighs> All right. Should we dive into this? Uh, hell yeah. I have the most beautiful dream. It was the perfect day. And all I could think about was how much I wanted to cut you all open and then climb inside your bodies so that we could stay one happy family. (laughs) All right, so Evil Dead Rise, the 2023 three film uh directed and written by lee cronin um so i guess before we get into the movie uh have you seen any of uh, lee cronin's other work um i believe so i'm terrible with names so fill me in what else has he done um so he really hasn't done a ton actually so he did uh a film back in 2019 called The Hole in the Ground. And he I also, think that's actually really good. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's it's like one I've been wanting to see for a long time. It's been on my to-watch list, and I think this is going to be the thing that pushes me over to see it, because I you know, really enjoyed Evil Dead Rise. Uh, so I think that helped him get his, his foot in the, the door, and then he was also working on the 50 States of Fright uh, series, which... Uh, was uh, a Quibi series from from the very short-lived Quibi uh, service. <laughs> um, for those of you who have already forgotten what Quibi was, it was basically like uh, content specifically for your phone. So all of the, uh, the all of it was like filmed uh, with like holding your phone upright in in mind, uh, and and so this was supposed to be a uh, this anthology series where you know like each uh, episode was broken into like three or four pieces. Uh, Sam Raimi was the executive producer, kind of showrunner. He did the first uh, story in in the show, and uh, yeah. So this is uh, so, so Lee Cronin uh, worked on a, a story for that, uh, and presumably, uh, you know, that was either where Sam Raimi really got to to know him and and trust him with with Evil Dead, or at the very least, you know, he really liked some of his other stuff and that's why he tapped him for both projects so uh yeah it 50 seats of fright was was a lot of fun um 
But again, Quibi lasted like 20 minutes, so... <laughs> uh, it, it, I don't know if it's actually even like possible to find any of these episodes anymore. I don't I'm guessing they're somewhere is. on the internet, but... <clears throat> I mean, yeah, sure, on the internet, but I think Quibi kind of died. <laughs> oh yeah, it died. It died after like two weeks. It was but died, ridiculous. But died hard, is what I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but who knows? Go Google so, it. Yeah, you might be able to find find it. I mean, uh, Sam Raimi had a, a, a fun uh, story about uh, a dude with like a golden arm that makes him evil. Uh, it, 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 it's fun. It's fun. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, definitely you know need to check out Hole in the Ground now that I've seen Evil Dead Rise. So, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I I liked that this is a, a relative unknown uh, who brought such a, a strong uh, entry to the series. Um, you know, I, I I I like that it's you know either been kind of Sam Raimi running the show for these or. And and of course he was a, a relative unknown when he started making Evil Dead, and and that he has you know tapped uh, you know Lee Cronin and then also uh, Feta Alvarez for the 2013 film, um, you know who he, you know Feta was a little bit more well known, but even still wasn't like a huge name director either. So I like that you know, he's kind of bringing people who have skills, uh, but aren't you know necessarily going to be these massive names to the series. I think, you know, kind of having that more uh low budget uh kind of indie filmmaker approach has done a lot of good for continuing to have this series have the feel and kind of charm that it does. Yeah, definitely. And what I really liked too about Evil Dead Rise is probably more a comment on the entire franchise is it's very kind of basic in its approach mm -hmm. typically have a family or a group of friends you put them in a situation where they encounter the necronomicon and chaos ensues uh bloody chaos ensues and oh, so yeah. what i think was really fun about evil dead rise is that it took that same formula but said what if we did this in a you know modern setting in like a apartment complex but at the same time the the film starts out in a cabin and we kind of see this time reversal happen of where the events that the cabin encounter kind of where they got their origin from and so it gives us the cabin in the woods story that we're all so in love with when it comes to evil dead but we also got something fresh something new and it, it, it did things well and it didn't do things well and we'll get there yeah um so, I mean, first is, like, let's just kind of talk a little bit about the, the story. Uh, I figure this is fresh enough that it wouldn't hurt to just kind of hit the major story beats, um, kind of in a more chronological order than the film presents them, maybe. Um, so if, if you don't mind, I just kind of wanted to go through that, just so that way I think it'll give us a, a more directed uh, approach to how we're discussing what we like and don't like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, Evil Dead Rise, as you mentioned, starts with the cabin stuff, but all of that actually happens after the the main events of the film. Uh, so basically, what we have is uh, there's this family um, where uh, we have Ellie, who is this uh, single mom. Uh, her husband has left her. 
and and she has three kids uh bridget danny and cassie uh they are um you know kind of ranging from like i don't know cassie must be like six or seven uh maybe eight ish to you know kind of uh late like mid to late teens you know like kind of 15 16 ish um they're very uh atypical in 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 terms of you know the family dynamic you know we, we see that they have a lot of weird stuff around their house you know the son is blasting music and and uh like to a ridiculous degree and is is doing stuff with records um yeah we see that ellie her her whole thing is that she is uh, a tattoo artist uh cassie has this weird monstrosity of a doll on a (laughs) doll head on a stick which i'll get into more later um work of art really yeah and so like you know that they kind of have this kind of rough around the edges very uh you know liberal very uh you know it's not your like typical super uh clean nuclear family you know as as you'd stereotypically think um but basically they're going through some some hard times obviously you know the the dad of the family has just left um they are going to be evicted from their building which has been basically condemned uh pretty soon i have to find a new place to live you know finances aren't working out great um and the uh and, and then ellie's sister so the kid's aunt uh beth shows up uh you know kind of out of the blue to be, because beth uh who whose job is basically being a, a roadie uh for different um bands you know like like, looks like she works at a venue and, and kind of handles a lot of uh the you know amps and and kind of elect uh, electronics for music uh performances um she is pregnant and so she wants to you know go to her sister for advice and then while there things go horribly awry there's a, a an earthquake which unveils this ancient uh bank vault that's full of religious artifacts including uh our our necronomicon or sorry uh naturum de monto um <laughs> and and some uh records that relate to it which then of course unleashes the deadites ellie's the first one to become possessed uh she is a very scary uh mother figure that chases them around and is real horrifying of course the possession then spreads uh so then uh, pretty soon, um, Ellie, Bridget, and Danny are all possessed deadites, and um, Beth and Cassie have to uh, escape them as well as other deadites uh, from the neighbors and the halls and stuff. And eventually, they make their way down uh, to the uh, ground level, which is very difficult um, since they're on a high floor and the elevator is not functional and fills up with blood uh to basically be chased by this horrifying monstrosity version of of uh the the family members that has kind of formed into this big scary monster and they uh then beth has to take that on with weapons and a a wood chipper to ultimately defeat them uh and then of course the infection then gets some other random tenant of, of the building who then 
goes to a cabin in the woods with her cousin and boyfriend and uh she proceeds to then uh go uh for the the kind of the prequel part of the the film where she goes full deadeye and then you know scalps her her cousin and um ultimately kills her boyfriend and takes a drone to the face and then dramatically rises up out of the water uh, and that is uh, our story <laughs> yeah uh so there's a lot in it that is is really good and i think we should definitely kind of hone in right now on just the positives yes um so overall i i was surprised i think with this uh evil dead rise primarily because the evil dead that came out in 2013 uh, kind of flipped the game a little bit it took out all of the camp and a lot of the horror or excuse me a lot of the comedy and, and really plugged in the horror like the 2013 evil dead is not for the faint of heart Oh yeah, that movie is so terrifying and so brutal, and and like there is humor in it, but it's so twisted. Yeah, it is. It is an experience, and I don't let everyone who I know watch it just because it is pretty wild. Um, it it made me stop watching horror for like three days, maybe, which is probably the worst any horror has done. Yeah, it's um, uh, it, it is truly uh, a terrifying movie. And so I was surprised with this one in that the camp they've dialed it up quite a bit. Um, it's not a comedic film by any means, but it is. It kind of has these slapstick moments, which almost feel out of place, but at the same time feel perfect. Yeah, it's 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 very much trying to stylistically fit within the earlier entries of the series, right? Like Agreed. Agreed. Sam Raimi, especially in Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and Ash vs. Evil Dead, really, really gives us a lot of camp, a lot of slapstick, a lot of really silly things that are still kind of upsetting. Uh, especially, I mean, and some are very, very upsetting. Um, and, and some... And and some of these tributes that we have here are are like direct nods to moments in Raimi's you know previous films. Um, you know, one one moment was even like very much a uh, nod to um, oh, what is that freaking movie called? Um, it's the movie he directed that uh, Drag Me to Hell. Ah, yes, yeah. Uh, there, there's like one moment in in this movie that's directly a nod to Drag Me to Hell. Um, with with how slapsticky it is I, I i'll say that yeah like the the humor was less present in this film than evil dead 2 or you know the you know or or, or the raimi related uh work of, uh, of the series that came after that um but it is still funny um but it, it is you know kind of more of the dark humor they're like oh that was messed up but i am kind of uncomfortable but i'm gonna laugh at how uncomfortable it was as well as just like i you know you burst out laughing just because of how just off the wall bonkers they decide to go with some of the slapstick you know there's there's a part where an eyeball gets 
popped off of someone and it <laughs> pops into someone's mouth or you know throat and they're choking on it which is definitely the you know reference to uh getting an eyeball in in the throat uh from drag me to hell um and and that was the moment too for me where i was like okay this is different than the first remake like they're doing something different here and i love it yeah and and like you know we we have uh the the doll stick thing which is you know so so the the little girl uh whose name i've already forgotten even though i just said it it was uh cassie uh she basically has been told that there's like a ghost or something that's haunting their apartment building and so she's made this uh basically doll head on a stick to scare it away um and she's named it Stephanie, which <laughs> i absolutely love um and of course, of course, someone gets Stephanie's pointy end right through the head. And it is gruesome and upsetting, but also inherently kind of hilarious because it's just so disconnected from anything that even feels like it could possibly happen, but is absolutely the most evil dead kind of thing that could happen. Or that could happen. Um <laughs> happening were you trying to say staffney and happening at the same yes. time <laughs> i got that the staffening <laughs> well and i think this is what evil dead does really well is it has these moments of camp but they're kind of overlaid on just these grotesque moments of horror so you don't know if you should laugh or be scared or what and it it, it generates a feeling of being uncomfortable and i i don't know of a horror franchise that does it better than this like Evil Dead mixes camp and horror so well. Maybe the Scream franchise does it in a sense, but that's more meta than it is camp to me. So they're, yeah. they're similar, but different. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I feel like there is a really unique feel to this series. And even though I absolutely adore the 2013 film, it doesn't feel the same way. And this movie felt like classic Evil Dead in, in a really fun way. Um. Like the the deadites in this one are so nasty, in in like this like very aggressive, upsetting way. Like you know, just the things they say are like, oh, that was messed up. Holy cow! See, I I would argue that a little bit. Maybe we can kind of break that down when we talk about some of the things we didn't like. I felt the deadites kind of were secondary to Ellie, the mom, like. Uh, we can get into it a little bit later, but uh, I, I think I would disagree with you there in some capacity. Well, I mean, Ellie, I think, is is the ultimate one in terms of just, like, saying the things that really, truly upset me. Um, like, once she becomes a deadite, just, you know, she does so with good. maggots now. Yeah, yeah. We have to give credit to that amazing actress Alyssa sutherland you knocked it out of the park you were terrifying yeah she's really phenomenal in this movie also Um, what parents are like they get the script of evil dead rise and they're like yeah eight-year-old nell fisher you can do this this is good this is good It just kind of blew my mind a little bit that some of these kids, you know, they have to have parent permission, and I wonder what those conversations were like. 
Yeah, yeah, this is definitely one of those movies where I kind of go, oh, this child is going to have some trauma after this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think I loved Alyssa Sutherland so much as kind of the main Deadite. In the fact that, again, the setting of Evil Dead Rise was so different from what we'd seen before. You know, the original Evil Dead, it's just a group of teenagers. We have the remake where it's kind of this drug intervention, and so they're college-aged. And I, I, the, the original, I'm sure they were college-aged or teenagers. It doesn't really matter. Um, the maturity shifted, though, in the remake. And here, the maturity shifts again because having a mother be the source of all evil in the house was really spooky. And I, I don't think a lot of films have done that before where the mom is now the terror, but like the supreme terror. There's always this kind of weird sense of of empathy for the mom's plight. You know, we can think of Psycho or Mommy Dearest even. I don't know. I like that they leaned into it. Ellie was terrifying. There's the bathroom scene, the door scene. Um, towards the end where she's screaming, you will all be dead by dawn, you will all be dead by dawn. Um, I'm just envisioning her piercing eyes in that peekaboo kind of door frame, and it just is giving me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and what I love is that like she is saying these kind of weirdly comforting things that are have this like horrendous logic to them that, like, it's this disconnect like like she's she's singing lullabies and she's like saying a lot of the right things but it all has just this like weird edge to it when she's you know trying to persuade cassie to open the door or things like that like it's just this wonderful kind of unhinged disconnect between comforting mother you know mother figure who is this you know amazon who who's protecting her kids kind of thing versus she is the threat and she is using that against them um well i i think it goes back to what we love a lot about horror is taking something that is so wholesome and pure you know we we talk a lot about horror christmas films mm -hmm. and i think this does it as well you know this this family that is evolving based on times the mother is you know her husband left uh, it's the sense of like, oh, this family can do it. They can pull through. Um, and then it flips it on its head and it, it makes us hate the mother. And it, it's really twisted and dark and it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I really liked, because I felt like all of the actors for the family were really solid. I agree. Um, I feel like, you know, maybe some of the other secondary characters didn't quite deliver the performances I wanted, but the but at least the the, the kind of the, the core family who are the ones that were really focused on all of them were were solid like the little girl for cassie really solid uh especially considering how messed up this movie is um for real though props little girl wherever you are you you're probably gonna be talking about this film in your therapy sessions when you're older mm-hmm and and then you know the the other you know two kids in the family who are you know the teenagers, like I I, I really bought their family dynamic right like 
you can see that they they care about each other, they love each other, they support each other, but they also are siblings who fight with each other and argue over stupid crap and get mad at each other over you know dropping the pizza box and all of that kind of stuff. Like I I believed their dynamic, uh, which made it so much better and you know better at being worse when things went really awry for them. You know I I actually cared about them. Um, which is kind of an unusual thing for for a lot of the Evil Dead movies because it's usually like I like Ash and everyone else kind of don't care about. Um, well, and they did that in such a short time too. I think, I mean, short is a relative term, of course, but typically in the Evil Dead films, we don't really get a whole lot of kind of exposition about the characters and their backstories and, mm-hmm. and all of that, and so they really are, you know, meat puppets for lack of a better term. Um, but this one, it, it took its time introducing these characters, kind of showing us this dynamic, and letting them kind of exist outside of the horror for a moment. Because you're right, I, I think the family dynamic was portrayed in a great way. They were all independent human beings, but they, they did exist and function as a cohesive unit. And mm-hmm. that made it feel real. It made me care, because I could identify with, oh, I'm that sibling, and my sister is that sibling. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they did it really well. You know, you you say that now, and it makes you think about the film and and how well that was executed. Yeah, and and what I love too is is you know the the last family member who we haven't talked about as much yet, though she is arguably kind of the the main character by the end of it, is Beth. You know, the the sisters uh, of LA slash aunt to the kids. I really liked her dynamic as well, where she's kind of the, you know, cool aunt, you know, oh, she's like a rock and roll chick, kind of, you know, she she blows in, has has silly gifts for everybody, uh, but, you know, she she is there to get advice from her sister, and all of that felt very real, and, and, and you know, even the tension that they had with each other, you know, it's like, well, why didn't you tell me what was going on? I... I left voicemails. You never called me back. You know, those felt very real uh, in terms of like how sometimes a, a loving but strained find family dynamic is. Uh, and so I, I liked how Beth fit in. And then that as soon as there was a threat to her sister and to her, you know, uh, nibblings, uh, which is, uh, I learned the uh, catch all term for nieces and nephews. Um, nope. nope. I hate that. It is. It's the term. Oh, it's like gunkle. It just makes my skin crawl. <laughs> so anyway, the nibblings uh, were, were being protected by Beth. But I, I like that she is quite competent. I mean, you know, things go awry because it's really hard to account for how deadites work. Uh, but like, I like that she was willing to face it because you know it, it, she was standing up for people that she loved, even though. She wasn't necessarily always in their lives. And I, and, and like, by the end of it, yeah, she's hardcore. Like, she is willing to do some, some pretty upsetting things to, to win and, and protect Cassie uh, by the end of the movie. And I, I really liked her as a character. I thought that she um, had a really cool dynamic uh, as kind of the, the heroine to be cheering for opposite how upsetting uh you know her sister ellie is as as kind of the the big bad villain 
Well, and I also... I, I like that she didn't know what was going on. Sometimes mm. I think final girls and, you know, we can extend that. Excuse me, final people, you know, whatever. Uh, once the the threat really kind of hits its plateau, they, like, snap together and they know what to do and they've got it all figured out kind of a thing. Um, and that's just not really authentic. And I think this film does a really good job of being chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times horror movies are chaotic in a bad way. And this really leaned into chaos as chaos. And, and when the Naturum de Monto or whatever, when we were learning some of its lore, it talked a lot about kind of the chaos of the Deadites and how it was different from the Necronomicon. And I really think they executed that very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some yeah, people these... I've talked to about the film were actually a little frustrated because they felt like it was going all over the place. And I, I had to say, like, well, that was kind of the point. Like, it's chaos. These, these Deadites were the embodiment of chaos. And, and what I like is that that is both consistent with the, the series in terms of, you know, kind of each film gives us different things, right? Like Evil Dead 1 and 2 kind of give us, you know, the, the stereotypical, you know, uh, Kandarian demon deadites that we think of. Uh, army of Darkness gave us a whole army of uh, undead creatures. Some were, you know, winged monsters. Some were skeletons. You know, they was kind of all over the place. Uh, Ash versus Evil Dead has given us a whole bunch of different kinds of demons and monsters to to run up against. And so this kind of having its own sort of unique blend of monstrousness really worked for me. It's that it was both familiar and different. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I I liked how they kind of created this evil deadverse as well. Mm-hmm. They brought in the Notorum de Monto, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we wrap up. Uh, but it kind of created there are three books of the dead, and these three universes kind of surround them. And now it's are they connected? Are we all within Ash's purgatory in some sense? Like the mystery behind the lore, I think, was a great setup for future films because they can go, you know, they can create more books of the dead. We can go. I don't know, to Texas. Lord knows Evil Dead has already happened in Texas in real life. Uh, <laughs> or we could go to South America, Europe even. Like, let's, let's expand the universe and, and do what they did here with the apartment building, which really was a character in and of itself, very shining adjacent. Take yeah. that and let's go to the catacombs of France or Big Ben or wherever. I think it'd be really cool to explore. I, I agree. I, I, I feel like it opens it open doors rather than kind of close them. Um, yeah, a lot of times these series are just like, oh, hey, well, here's that one evil thing, and this is the one thing that makes everything bad happen. And in this case, yeah, it kind of opened it up and said, hey, there are more of these. Other things can happen. It could happen in different times and in different places, and that's okay because now we can have, yeah, like really off-the-wall approaches to the Evil Dead series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only thing I can kind of compare that to would be like the movie Prey in the Predator series, where it's you know 
such a different like time and place to have that kind of story well we could have a very different time and place sort of evil dead story and it could still work yeah um uh, you mentioned the shining yeah there's a lot of nods to a bunch of different horror franchises obviously you know mentioned all of the previous sam raimi work getting nodded to but of course there's the really big nod to the shining with the uh, bloody elevator oh, um, uh, huge nod that was awesome yeah, there were a bunch of other ones that I can't even remember now. But yeah, like the whole time I was watching the movie, I'm like, oh, that's a reference to this thing. That's a reference to this thing. And they're all gone now from my brain. <laughs> yeah. I have to watch it again. For sure. And and I enjoy that. Um, I know sometimes people find that a little distracting. Um, and, I'm, you know, that's fair. But as, as horror fans, I love a good Easter egg. It makes me feel like all of this knowledge I put in my brain means something. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I tend to lean towards uh, loving Easter eggs and and incorporating them into my own writing and stuff like that. I can see why it can sometimes kick people out of an experience because it's just like, oh, instead of thinking about this movie, I'm thinking about a dozen other movies instead. And I understand that argument, but for people who enjoy a good Easter egg, this movie is chock full of them. Um, so I, I'm gonna count that as a good. Um. Something I really enjoyed in this movie, uh, to kind of change gears a little bit, is that as far as kind of major story beats go and, and kind of how problem solving worked, we had different characters' expertise being brought to the table in interesting ways. Um, so I like that basically things got started because the the son um danny um that that danny you know when he finds the naturum de monto and the uh the records it's him knowing how to kind of manipulate records and and you know kind of having his whole like uh mixing board uh scratching all of that kind of stuff i sound like a, a total dweeb who get knows nothing about this kind of music um but the fact that he knows how to to do that uh is what allows him to play it back at a speed that's understandable and that is ultimately what you know sets things off uh so in this case this was expertise being used for the bat but then we see it come back again when they're trying to get more knowledge and then we also have beth using her knowledge of, of kind of how to just kind of makeshift weld things together for uh speakers and amps and all of that kind of stuff which is you know just her job is knowing how to do that kind of thing and that is what allows them to get more information um and and that, those are just two small examples but you know we see these characters using their um their expertise in interesting ways that uh solve problems that like other characters wouldn't necessarily be able to solve or certainly wouldn't be able to solve at least in the same ways and i like that because it gives us uh more fleshed out characters that feel more dynamic and and give you know each kind of unique perspective of each character more weight and value in the story yeah absolutely again it like we were talking about it makes the characters more relatable because they're using what they know gosh excuse me in this universe to kind of figure out how to respond to this threat and it's 
it's not like Ellie or Beth or whomever, Danny just has this random hidden talent that all of a sudden saves the day. Um, I, I really appreciated that as well. Um, I hear writing into the show notes, probably the scene that I think is going to stick with so many people, but the cheese grater scene where yep. a, a cheese grater is used to strip the flesh off of uh, calf muscle. And I think Oof. that's all we need to say. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, uh, I saw a thing, I think it was from uh, a premiere or some sort of a thing promoting it, where I saw that the actresses um, for Ellie and Beth, so uh, Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan, and they were like holding up a tiny cheese grater and like laughing and grinning. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Um <laughs> Ugh, that makes me hurt. Yeah, it was like it was like I think like yeah, like a cheese grater earring or something like that. And there's like <laughs> we've emotionally scarred everybody. Hooray! And uh, that is the kind of thing I uh, love. Um, should we talk about that Bruce C- Campbell cameo? Yeah, it was kind of a fun thing. I I didn't quite catch it the first time I saw the film, but then the second time I'm like, oh my god, it's Bruce Campbell. When they are playing these vinyl records that Danny found in this vault, I don't know, this vault under this apartment complex. We'll get to that. Um, The voice of the priest talking is actually Bruce Campbell. Heck yeah. So way to go, Bruce. And uh, yeah, yeah, you got to have at least a little bit of Bruce Campbell. I mean... He even weirdly had a post credit scene in the 2013 one, so... <laughs> Groovy. Which I still don't know quite what that was indicating. I don't know. It's that, that, that's a whole different thing. It's just groovy, Nathaniel. Let it be groovy. Okay, you know what? That's fair. <laughs> I, who am I to question the great Bruce Campbell? Fair, fair. Let's uh, kind of shift gears and talk about things that we maybe didn't appreciate as much or thought could be better. Yeah, um, let's kick this off with the wraparound story. Um, you know, we like 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 we mentioned, we have that cabin in the woods thing happening at the beginning, and then we have it kind of you know lead, led up to at the very end of the movie, and it kind of just didn't add anything. Uh, like there there were some fun moments in those scenes. I, I thought, especially at the beginning, you know. Getting a a powerful drone to the head was pretty cool. Um, the the rising up out of the lake and you know having the words "Evil Dead Rise" right next to that was really kick ass. But like besides that, it was kind of I don't know, it just didn't yeah, it just didn't add anything to the story. It was it was real dumb. I don't know. I, I I felt like they were just throwing that in the film to kind of give homage to the cabin in the wood story. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't need it. I don't know. None of the characters mattered. It was weird that they set it up right at the beginning. I, I don't know. I felt like the main story was going to tie somehow into this next story in a much more like prominent way, and it doesn't. Yeah, it's just it, like literally like, hey, that girl walked through the really, you know, gross. And she didn't call the cops? Yeah. What? What? I, I don't know. It, it. She took the book and then somehow read from the book. This very spooky book. I loved the design of the book. 
Mm -hmm. it, it, when you think about it again, it, it starts to fall apart. I think this movie suffers from the macro-microcosm issue that we've talked a lot about on the show, where there are moments in the film that are sublime. They're beautiful, they're amazing, they're horrific. Great horror. But when you take a step back and kind of look at it as a macro film, it starts to fall apart some places. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I would say, especially when it comes to this element in particular, it feels like uh, a thing that um, suffers from uh, what I've heard referred to as fridge logic, where it, it feels okay while you're watching it, but then 20 minutes after you're done with the movie and you're going to get a snack from the fridge, you know, that evening or something, it, it suddenly you go, wait a minute, that, that didn't actually do anything. Why was that there? Yeah, it. You could have taken that out, and the film would have been fine. The yeah. beginning and the end, it. It felt like some disjointed short film. I I don't know. I was really bothered by that part. I I appreciate what they were trying to do with the cabin in the woods. Don't think it was needed or it was executed very well. Yeah, I just I feel like ultimately it made it a less tight film. It almost um, felt like a, an extended credit scene to like introduce the actual story, which I also hate. Like, mm -hmm. just just get to the point. I don't know. I could. I it really bothered me, as we can see. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing that kind of bothered me about this one is just that it 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 felt very disconnected from like any actual location, right? Like, yeah. Okay, this this building is kind of this thing that exists in weird isolation, right? Like, it it doesn't feel connected to the other buildings around it. It doesn't feel like it's in any particular place in the world. Um, they all have American accents, so I guess somewhere in the United States, I guess? But, like, I don't know where. Um, I don't know, you know, really anything uh, uh, about where this, this is. Um... And honestly, I felt to, to a point that, like, because it was just su such an isolated thing, you know, this isolated uh, location within this big city, that it was kind of a missed opportunity. Like, when they said, uh, yeah, we're going to make an Evil Dead that's in an urban setting, I thought, oh, this is going to be absolutely off-the-wall crazy because they could have an entire city of infected uh you know or possessed uh deadites everywhere and it never got to that you know in fact it left that with with that wraparound story well i was, I, was I don't i don't need that to be the entire story but i was hoping that in the ending that's where it would be going is I, hey <clears throat> we have a gazillion you know monsters running around basically as opposed to Hey, we have like one hallway of people, um, you know that I don't know that, that there's like four more people than we usually get in an Evil Dead movie. No, I I fully agree. I was gonna say that you know with it being set in an apartment complex and the Deadites being able to spread through blood, like where was this crazy apartment complex that was just filled with Deadites and it. I think it would have made the end monster a lot more spooky and terrifying as if it was an amalgamation of 
you know, hundreds of people rather than, you know, what we got, which was maybe three. six or eight. Oh, it was just three. That's right. The family. Yep. Um, and it was gross in its own regard, but it was just a missed opportunity. And I don't know if maybe it was budget constraints or they wanted to kind of keep it centralized in that traditional Evil Dead kind of set of, you know, five or six. I don't know. It. I was very hyped for this film. I understand that I was hyped, and I was kind of disappointed in quite a few sections. Um, I do want to say I thoroughly enjoyed the film, and I can hold space for being disappointed and enjoying the film at the same time. Yeah, I. <laughs> that, that's honestly kind of how I feel about it too. Is that the the things that I was hoping this movie would be would would have been like a ten out of ten movie for me. That said, I don't know if if they exactly were promising them. I just that's how I interpreted the information that I was given, and in my head that was going to be this just bonkers movie that was just going to fulfill all of my my dreams. What I was given was a very good movie, but it wasn't all of my dreams coming true. Yeah, 100% um, agree. Another weak thing. Um, why is the Necronomicon in a bank vault under an apartment building? Oh, Jesus Christ, Nathaniel, this uh, this was frustrating. I think mostly because I just went and saw the new Transformers, and they do something very similar, but it's under like this old Catholic church. Hmm. I, uh, this trope needs to be retired. Things just don't exist under modern buildings without people knowing about them. It's very hard nowadays to be like, oh, we had no idea this entire chapel was underneath this apartment complex, and there's this book of evil that is existing down there, and this, like, library. I just... Ugh, it takes me out of the fantasy, because it's so comical, almost. Yeah, well, it... <sighs> I, I'm more willing to buy it if it's just like, oh, hey, yeah, I heard that they built this on top of an old church that, you know, had to be torn down. Okay, I would buy that more than a church has a, a very big vault in a bank, and then it's the bank. Like, it just it added, like, one unnecessary step. Like, well, I'm willing all... to, to swallow some big pills, but that was just, like, a really weird one, right? Like... And it was, like, very well preserved. Like, how long had this thing been around? It made it feel like almost Spanish conquistadors were the ones who had recorded this first summoning of these deadites. Like, ah. Uh, but, but, uh, but also, like, but it was recorded on vinyl. Right. And so, like, at so Extremos, that'd be, like, you know, early 40s? 1900s. Yeah. Yeah, like 1920, 1930, 1940. So, so <laughs> I think our unison so says it all. <laughs> yeah, it's just I again, like it's a weird pill to swallow. Like I would have been just fine with like, hey, we found this weird thing online and that would have been easier for me to to buy than Well, and the earthquake, like the earthquake completely dug up this entire cavern. Like earthquakes usually don't do that. Um, it was like a whole building under a building. It just felt very convenient for the plot. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, it was a plot device, not a yes. thing that felt like would ever ha actually happen. Exactly. Exactly. And as someone who loves mythology and history and archaeology, like, hell, I almost got a sociology degree in my free time because I am so passionate about stuff like this. It just... Uh, it felt like a caricature of what archaeology and anthropology is really all about. Um, and I know that's God, that makes me sound like a pretentious snob, but it just didn't deliver. In a film that was rooted in such reality as far as a family unit goes, this really dropped the ball when it came to introducing this new Necronomicon. Yeah, and, and that's even like understanding that this is a very campy movie. Ugh. Because, yeah, like, like again, let, let's just look at the how the other films handled it. Okay, they have a recording from a man who actually owns the cabin who is uh, an archaeologist and who discovered it. Okay, like, that's silly, but sure. I'm uh, going to... He... But, you know, as far as uh, a reason for things to happen, well, okay, I can buy that, though. Right, right. It, you know, he could have a summer cabin. He's an archaeologist. Like, that sounds very authentically true. Yeah, he put but... it there to try to keep it away from people once he learned what it was. This was different. Yeah, this this was a couple steps more than that in a way that just didn't work. Um, I thought another part that I didn't really enjoy... Well, I enjoyed it. Again, I can hold space for two things. Um, I thought the Deadites were rather circumstantial to the plot. They were fun. I thought a lot of the children's Deadites... Well, that's not true. I thought the Cassie... Is she the oldest? I'm no, she's it. the youngest. Who was the oldest? Bridget. Yeah. I thought her Deadite was the best. She's chewing glass. She's the cheese grater. We think she's dead because Staphne got her way. But then she comes out of nowhere with this cool cloth. Um, very spooky, ooky. Ooh. Oh, that part was great. Um, I love a background scene that just is subtle and her coming out in the darkness in just this white bedsheet with blood-stained face. Oh, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Outside of her, though, the other deadites were just very meh. Yeah, yeah, like, <sighs> like Danny's Deadite, this awesome kid who does these cool things with records. He was just literally it felt like a zombie. Uh, he had no scare factor at all when he turned Deadite. Yeah, and and like part of that was just you know kind of timing. He he turned into a Deadite like right at the end of, uh, you know, Beth and Cassie deciding to get out of there. Like, that was kind of the final straw. But, yeah, we don't ever get to see him do anything fun or clever. The other ones in the hall don't really do anything fun or clever. It's it's pretty much just Ellie and Bridget are, are the scary ones. All of the other ones are just kind of in the way. Yeah, I even in the 2013 film, the Deadites were rather circumstantial, but they had a purpose. Each one of them filled part of this you know, pentagram five-point prophecy to summon the abomination. And so they were mindless, and they were drones, basically. But every single one of them was unique, harrowing, and served a very good role in the plot. 
Especially one, Mia's. Yeah, yeah. This one, I mean, Ellie was phenomenal. The mother was incredible. And I just, again, we talk about this film hyped us all up, and it really dropped the ball. And I think this was one of the bigger offenses. The Deadites were just outside of Bridget. Not that scary. I didn't care. Yeah. Um, I liked the concept of the final monster um, uh, along those lines to, uh, to an extent. But yeah, it just felt a little disjointed from the rest of the movie. Um, it just From the lore, even? Yeah, like, and, and okay, some of that was kind of in there with, with what, what the illustrations we see in uh, the Notorum de Monto and all of that. Um, I just, if they're going to go with a weird, you know, multiple bodies fused together into one horrifying monstrosity idea, go big or go home. And I felt like they went we medium. got to see it. Yeah, yeah, you, you barely get to see it. <laughs> It's just, I don't know, it, it should have been all of them, and it should have been way more of them by the time it got downstairs. Or they should have just not worried about that, and, and had it be uh, just, you know, kind of a frantic, wild fight to the end. I don't know. It. Or, I like the idea of, of kind of the final boss fight. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and, we had that with, uh, you know, the 2013 with mm-hmm. with the Abomination. It, yep. it was awesome, but it 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 made sense. This I felt I don't know if you remember Nathaniel, but I DM'd a Curse of Straw D and D campaign, and I literally like two years ago mm-hmm. tapped into the zeitgeist of horror, I guess, and created the I called them flesh homunculi, which were exactly what they did. And so part of me was like, "Hey, they stole my idea," but <laughs> also. <sighs> It just fell flat. I, I don't know. I, I was more terrified by Ellie's deadite form than I was this beast. Because I think part of the horror of Evil Dead is watching your friends and family become these demons that mm-hmm. will do terrible things. Think back to 2013, you know, with sawing your jaw off with a broken bottle or chopping your arm off with a turkey saw. Mm-hmm. And watching that and the humanity that is still being shown. And so to have this like creature feature in Evil Dead, I don't know. I don't know. Max did not like it. Like, again, I, I think it fits within like the greater universe in that it feels more Army of Darkness. But, sure. But, but again, Army of Darkness, I would argue, is probably the weakest entry in the series. I, I still like it a lot, but it's. You know, a little bit more on the kind of just fun, wacky side of things. And this felt like they were trying to go with both this, like, wacky idea and try to make it scary. And it didn't quite stick the landing. You know, if if you're going to do that, you have to go more like uh, in The Last of Us 2. Um, yeah. This, this, you know, big boss fight that's, you know, relatively near the end of the game is this you know, horrifying monstrosity called the Rat King, where it's, yeah, like, literally uh, 40 infected people all just kind of merge together in this one giant monstrosity. Um, And when that happens in the game, it's really upsetting. 
this was three and it was just i don't know it just didn't stick the landing as much which is a shame um i guess along those lines i just wanted this movie to be scarier right like yep i i feel like some moments were really chilling and other moments were just you know not um i i I had a fun time the whole movie but i wanted it to be a scarier movie like i thought that this would be one where yeah we'd go and like you know i'd have a hard time sleeping that night no not not at all same and and maybe the 2013 film kind of set that expectation for us which is fine understandable and reasonable but if you're going to make a sequel, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, can't fall in the trap of that sequelitis. You have to go bigger and badder and scare us again because we know what to expect this time. We know what a deadite is. We've seen the gore that the 2013 film gave to us. If you don't match that and go further, we're going to get bored. And I was kind of bored in some parts. I hate saying that because Evil Dead is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted this movie to be a little bit funnier. Um, oh, see, I didn't. I thought the camp was weird, but I wasn't expecting camp. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I just wanted it to have uh, more of the dark sense of humor in terms of like how the Deadites were taunting them. Um, we get little glimmers of it. We get some like really you know, nasty things that are kind of like, oh, okay, like, that's, you know, a, a little funny to, to hear that said or things like that. But, like, I guess I just wanted it tonally to be more similar to the the Ash vs. Evil Dead series, where I felt like that series did a really wonderful job of giving us some very good scares and also being very funny. Um... I, I I don't necessarily need it to be as funny, but I, I I just feel like you know, the Evil Dead series does a really good job of giving me scary and funny, and I felt like this was a little bit tame on both of those fronts. Um, and yeah, like it can have a nasty sense of humor, but I wanted just a little bit more of that. Um, and I think I'm the opposite side of the coin that I wanted it to be bleak, bleak dark i wanted that 2013 you know i I watched that film and again i was i didn't watch horror for a few days because i was so disturbed by what i saw and i thought this you know it's 10 years later it's going to be even worse and i'm thrilled about it and i left that theater being like eh, stranger things was scarier at some points (laughs) so uh it's funny that you know, sometimes the things we want in a film are some of the criticisms, and I understand that, you know, maybe that's not the right way to look at it, but that's how we do. Yeah. Again, I, I love that, that we can both love this movie and also have things that we didn't love about it. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're critics. This is what we do. Yeah. Um, so now let's get into our lingering questions, because <laughs> I feel like the the Evil Dead series has never done the best job of, of clearly spelling out a lot of its lore. You know, we, we have arguably a, a fairly sizable body of work now that we can kind of look at, right? We've got 
five movies and three seasons of a TV show. And I still feel like I have a lot of questions. <laughs> um, so the first one is, are the Deadites in this movie, and by extension also in, in the 2013 movie, are they Kendarian demons? Or are they some other kind of demon? It seems like they're probably different types of demons, right? Like, is that your interpretation? Yeah, I mean, keep going with your thought, and I'll give you what I feel. Okay, well, because we have the Necronomicon Ex Mortis in the Evil Dead uh, films, the original trilogy, and then we have the Netorum de Manto of 2013, and the Torrum de Manto of this one, which I think is at one point at least once referred to as a Necronomicon. Now, Natorum de Monto is basically like Italian or, or kind of a bastardization of Italian um, for Book of the Dead. Necronomicon Ex Mortis is Book of the Dead. So are they the same thing? Are they different things? Is the Necronomicon Ex Mortis one of the volumes of the Natorum de Monto? You know, we, we find out that there are three volumes in the second one. So is the first volume the one that we saw in 2013? Is that the third volume? Is Necronomicon Ex Mortis <laughs> one of those? Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like, you know, maybe each book is kind of connected to different types of demons and are going to summon different demons. And if I had to guess, it's probably what they're maybe going for is Natorum de Monto... Uh, there's three volumes of that. We'll see the third one in whatever the next Evil Dead movie is. Uh, we've seen the first two. And then Necronomicon Ex Mortis is related but isn't the same. Yeah, so if I throw my, you know, rogue demonologist hat on, one day I'm going to get an actual certificate that labels me as such. Um, I think if we... This is going to make me sound so nerdy, but it's fine. If we (laughs) look at different world cultures, we're going to see a lot of similarities and a lot of differences, of course. Mm -hmm. So if we take a look at the Necronomicon, how I interpreted this in some capacity is there are these three different sections where some cult or some organization was trying to summon a demon, and they all kind of got to the same location, but in different ways. Mm Mm-hmm. I think in this film, we have a variety of Deadite. When we look at the 2013 film, we have a different variety. I think that is very sadistic, very cruel. And in this film, while they're sadistic and cruel, they're also chaotic. So they might all be Kendarian demons, but I think based on whoever wrote that book summoned a variant or a different type of demon based on kind of what their goal was or what they were trying to accomplish. And in some capacity, I think this is a really good interpretation of the idea of Legion, where we are not one but many, that they're all kind of the same demon, but they are different factions or variants or types. But the end goal for all of them is murder and blood and gore and evil. Yeah. Um, you know, my my goal in life is to figure out who Legion is, of course, because we've talked about, you know, I am Legion when we watched Wreck and Quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have him again. But, uh, I think they are different books, 
written by different people, but the, the zeitgeist of culture has created them to be very similar. Because in reality, throughout history and mythology, there's millions of books of the dead. There's not just, you know, the Egyptian book of the dead and then everyone else is not, you know? Mm -hmm. um, everyone has their own interpretation of death and their books of the dead. So uh, that's my soapbox of demonology for you. Yeah, and I, 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 I agree. Um, I think in terms of the lore of this universe, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe the Necronomicon Ex Mortis is specifically summoning one type of demon that's a little funnier. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, maybe that's what is a Kendarian demon, or maybe these are all Kendarian demons and there's different subsections. I don't know how to, how, what, what their intent is there. Because you could um, say, you know, the o the OG, that's the mad, kind of crazy, lunatic Kendarian demon. Still mm -hmm. sowing evil, but in kind of an unhinged way. Then you have the 2013, which I would say is the sadistic one, who just loves causing and watching pain. And then you have this one that gets his, his jigglies off, or however the cliche is said, <laughs> for the chaos, just seeing the panic and the paranoia and the... The insanity of it all it's the same demon but different flavors yeah um Happy i want to, to get your thoughts on another thing that the, the internet seems to be hotly debating is the bruce campbell cameo character you know <laughs> who, who seems to be a priest do you think that that oh, is just a priest who happens to be played by bruce campbell as well or is that ash because in you know in in the original trilogy we do see ash uh you know get get thrown in a time portal he messes up spells we're you know it's it's not super clear cut how he kind of goes from you know end of army of darkness to you know getting back uh to his regular "Quote unquote regular uh, life," uh, you know, when we see him much later in his life with Ash versus Evil Dead. So, you know, do you think that maybe, uh, among other things, he he might have you know been a uh, uh, traveled to, to multiple times and encountered Deadites uh, a few times, and this is just maybe one of them. Uh, you know, it's a fun idea, and I can see where people would like find find that but if a bug's life taught me anything sometimes a rock is just a rock ah. <laughs> i think it was more bruce campbell wanting to come back and have fun is in this franchise that has made him so successful rather than this kind of complicated multiverse of evil dead bruce campbell um so i get it i i think that's fun and it is a clever idea but i think this is a classic case of sometimes a rock is just a rock okay i i agree with you i think um if if this was ash he would have been way more smarmy and absurd and less uh helpful um because that's ash um <laughs> yeah i love ash so much but i also love to kind of despise him a little bit uh because yeah, he's just the biggest prick um i I cannot see Ash, Ash, As a religious a, figure. Yeah, like a, a pious, calm religious figure. If he was, 
he'd be making some sort of boob joke <laughs> yeah well while reciting this or if he knew what the deadites were why wouldn't he warn people like uh yeah anyway i think we're on the same page yeah it's it's a fun fan theory i don't think it actually holds up though because ash is such a unique Sleaze character bag. and yeah and it's just the ultimate uh likable sleaze bag there we go likable sleaze bag um oh, i hate that i love that so much <laughs> that's ash for you though that is true that is true watch ash v evil dead and you will see how sleazy a sleaze bag can be oh my gosh he's so wonderfully sleazy in that <laughs> all right nathaniel what let's talk about screams and crowns what are you giving it uh screams wise i'm gonna give this a six and a half how about you i gave it a six it, it had those moments but really didn't execute like i wanted it to yeah i really hoped that this would be a nine or ten but it wasn't but it's fine uh crowns wise though uh i gave this movie an eight i really had a just a wonderful time watching it regardless of what i want this movie to be i had so much fun and i just uh this is the first time I've, I've been able to see you know something from this franchise in a theater and that was a lot of fun um i really like this series a lot and it was just a, a great time you and me going and watching some some evil dead that is right i gave it a seven uh for similar reasons it's a fun film i will probably watch it at my halloween horror movie thon um i just wanted it to go a little bit further with itself mm -hmm. so that is me so uh max how are you staying spooky lately oh other than the you know hellscape nightmare that is moving oh get ready because max has a new obsession Ooh. um i, I have been uh, uh traveling a lot for work and one of my new favorite podcasts is Morbid Podcast. Ash and Elena, you guys are awesome. Shout out. Uh, they kind of dissect true crime stories, but they really focus in on the victims of true crime. And they told this one story, which was fascinating to me. It happened in 1993 in West Memphis, Arkansas. About three eight-year-old boys were found in a river. They were mutilated. It was a horrific, horrific murder. Um, one of the boys was castrated. Trigger warnings all around here. The, the three boys were just brutally, brutally murdered. And the police department at the time was really biased because satanic panic was going strong. And they found these three boys who were into Wicca and wore black and loved Metallica and ACDC. And without any real concrete evidence, were able to convince a 24 jury. 24 panel jury that they were guilty of three accounts of murder and they rotted in jail for 18 years um it is the kind of the the background and the inspiration from eddie in stranger things season four kind of where he's the pariah of town and so everyone just assumes all the bad things happen because of him mm -hmm. so i have watched documentaries now i just bought a book called the devil's knot which talks about how None of the evidence links these three boys to the murder scene at all. There's no logical evidence that makes sense. 
they were actually exonerated kind of back in 2011. So they're out of jail now, but they are still guilty for the murders. They did what's called an Alfred plea, which is a very special legal type of maneuver where they assume guilt while maintaining innocence. Basically, they're just waiting for technology to catch up and allow better evidence to come forth. Hmm. So I could go on and on and on. I'm kind of obsessed with it right now. Um, I highly recommend watching a documentary series. It's called Paradise Loss. It's on HBO Max. Um, Peter Jackson got involved. This this crime caused a lot of like celebrity fervor as well. Uh, he did an amazing documentary as well called West of Memphis uh, that came out in 2003, I believe. So highly recommend. It's a crazy story. Talks a lot about how religious fervor and the witch trials are not done. They just are manifesting in different ways. Hmm. So that's, that's me, Nathaniel. What are you doing? <clears throat> Poor Mark is probably sick and tired of me, you know, cooking taco soup while I listen to uh, <laughs> evidence about death. <laughs> hmm. Um, well, I have been staying spooky by playing through the Evil Dead, or, not Evil Dead, I'm, uh, okay, Resident Evil 4 <laughs> Remake. Close. See, still got Evil Dead in my mind. <laughs> I mean, I could be playing Evil Dead, too, I, they, they do have a video game. Um, that's fair. Not that great. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but yeah, no, the, the Resident Evil 4 Remake, uh, so... This, uh, if if you want to go all the way back to my origin story, uh, in our our first episode, in terms of you know, kind of how I got into horror, uh, Resident Evil Four specifically was a, a big part of of kind of what fueled my passion for the genre. And so, uh, of course, as soon as they dropped this remake version of it, I had to get it. Um, and y'all. Resident Evil 4 is such a freaking great game, um, and this remake does does the original justice. It makes it much more playable for a modern era, you know, so you don't have to stop to shoot, uh, which is, you know, not great when you're getting chased by monsters. Um, but it, it, it just really delivered very well on, you know, kind of updating the, you know, the the game and how rough around the edges it was, because, I mean, it, it was... 20 years old almost um and and just really just you know kind of bringing it up to to a modern standard the graphics look great the you know story updates you know they make some minor tweaks but they work really well we still have like a lot of the campiness that makes resident evil wonderful uh but also you know just uh, great scares in the game great combat it's it's just fun. I I freaking love that game. Uh, I played it way too fast, um, and as soon as I beat it, I immediately just like wanted to play it again. I I love Resident Evil Four. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's the big way I've been staying spooky. And then of course, besides that, just getting ready for StokerCon. So uh, again, uh, you know, if any of you are there at StokerCon, say hi, please. I I will be uh, very shamelessly plugging this podcast <laughs> well and we are coming up on our 100th episode which is pretty exciting for us heck yeah 
So if you have anything you want to hear or listen to for our big one hundo, let us know. We're trying to figure out what the best thing is. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to hear ideas for how to approach our big landmark episode. For real. That would be cool. So, in the meantime, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.